This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we're going to focus on the California Democratic primary. You're already voting, right? It's coming up on March 3rd. Before we get into it today, I want to talk to you about something. Do you want to have a bigger say in what we cover? We want to know what you want to hear because we want to make our podcast better at the Chronicle and who better than you, our listeners, to tell us how to do that. Take a quick survey at sfchronicle.com slash podcast survey. And if you complete it, you'll be entered in a drawing to win one of five $100 gift cards. You could, you could win cash, cold hard cash for filling out a survey about podcasts. How much, how much doesn't get easier money than that? That's sfchronicle.com slash podcast survey. Okay, so for today's podcast, I want to share with you a rare gathering of the California state directors for the top presidential campaigns. We have the Joe Biden campaign, represented from the Mike Bloomberg campaign, the Bernie Sanders, and the Elizabeth Warren campaigns. And we had them all together the other day in Sacramento, where I moderated a panel featuring these folks for the Sacramento Press Club. The, uh, by the way, the state director for the Pete Buttigieg campaign was invited, accepted, but declined at the last minute. So listen to this, this live recording about how these folks say they're going to win in California, what success here looks like on election night, depending on how many votes are counted, and who their best endorser is and would be. And now we go to our live recording from the Sacramento Press Club. Welcome to a very special kind of live episode of my It's All Political podcast. And let's have a gratuitous round of applause to that so we can hear. <laughs> just, just so people know that there are people in the room. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm going to do, do quick introductions here and, and get right to it. Um, a, the state director for Vice President Joe Biden is here, Jessica Mejia. Jessica, wave your hand and say hi. Yes. Um, the state director for Mayor Mike Bloomberg is here, and that's Chris Myers. Chris, say hi. <laughs> Chris has packed the room. Uh, the state director for Senator Bernie Sanders is here, and that's Rafael Navarre. And the state director for Senator Elizabeth Warren is here. That's Nicole DeMond. Okay, let's start by everybody explaining what your footprint is in California. How many people do you, how many staffers do you have here and how many offices? Raph, why don't you lead off? Sure, thank you for having us. So the Bernie Sanders campaign in the state of California has 20 offices currently. We have 90 staff and we have one of the largest operations in the state. We've actually done over 7,500 events in the state across for the last, since the summer of last summer, uh, since last summer. Okay, Jess? Um, we currently have over 20 staff members in the state of California, and we're in the process of ramping up, and we just opened an office in East LA yesterday. Okay, 
Chris? Uh, we have 17 offices uh, as of today in California, and that's growing. Uh, by the end of the week, we'll probably have closer to 21 or 22. We have three, over 300 staff uh, in California, and we just did over 200 events Saturday and Sunday all across the state. That's 200 events in California? In California. Um, we've got over four dozen staffers across the state. Most of those are dedicated to grassroots organizing on the ground. Um, and then we've got offices in Oakland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So, I mean, there's, this room's full of political pros. Everybody know, here knows that you, you can, it, ground game is important, but California's a big state. TV matters a lot. Uh, the Bloomberg campaign has spent uh, $32 million so far just in California alone, and that's as of when I last checked two hours ago. Um, the, uh, the rest of the camp, you know, other than Steyer, has spent about $13 million, and Bernie's probably about a million here. Um, how has the Bloomberg entry changed the race? Jess, well, you want to start on that? Um, well, you know, for us, it just continuing to ramp up in the state, continue to build on that structure that we've laid out, um, continue to work with our partners and our elected officials that have endorsed the vice president. Um, we count with a diverse coalition across the country and in the state of California. So, and all of our endorsers and supporters have been very engaged in the campaign. So for us, it's just continuing on that plan to make sure that we continue to build on that coalition and a good structure. Now the ballots have dropped in our state, and so just continue to build on that structure and continue to engage our supporters and our um, endorsers. So he hasn't affected you at all? No, we just continue on with our game plan. Okay. Raph, go ahead. So, you know, we've been on the ground since uh, summer of last year. I think uh, we're continuing to scale up. Um, we are proud that we have, as far as the volunteer base, the largest operation in the state. And we're going to continue to run our program where, as I mentioned, we still have more offices than anybody else. And we are in every single part of the state. We're not just focused on Los Angeles or the Bay Area. We're in every single part of the state and we're not leaving any delegates on the table. And we're going to continue to run our program as we had always planned. And so we feel confident in the state. We feel confident about where we're not on the polls, but also about the field operation we have. And so for us, you know, we are continuing to work our plan, and we feel good about the state of California. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we can only control our own campaign, so we're doing what we've always been doing, which is grassroots organizing. This has always been a grassroots campaign. Um, we're powered by people who donate $3 or $5 at a time or who volunteer a few hours on the weekends, and we're using that grassroots campaign really to just share Elizabeth's message about why government is not working for regular people, and, um, you know, this lobbyist and corporate money that flows through Washington is the root of all of our corruption. Um, and it's exactly why government works well for the wealthy and well-connected with power and influence, just not so much for everybody else. So four years ago, the uh, Democratic primary was in June. And uh, this year, Californians already been voting for a week, same, started the same day as the Iowa caucuses. Um, and perhaps our votes will be counted before theirs. Um, uh, <laughs> Had to, had to get that in. Um, four years ago, Bernie got 46% of the vote. Of course, it's a much more crowded field this year. How does moving up the primary affected California's uh, cachet clout in this race? Go ahead. You want, you want to say you're the, you're the uh, Bernie guy? You've been <laughs> so, around for your... So I think, obviously, it, it, it raises uh, the importance of California. And it also, I think, is a powerful statement. You know, California is a diverse state. 
and it represents, it looks like the rest of the country, it looks like the country itself. So I, I do think that it lifts up uh, the different communities in California and have a different outsized influence that we haven't had in the past. Um, I also think, you know, as a progressive state, as a state that's actually led on pushing policies that, you know, uh, many of which are the senator has supported, it kind of lifts up, uh, has an alignment with values in politics. And so, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, California is more important now um, than it was in 2016, given its um, March uh, date. And I think we're going to be able to have an influence in, this, in the country as far as what we need, the changes that we actually need, the policy changes that we need, the platforms that we need, and that California is going to be able to define that for the rest, uh, rest of the country. Jess, what, what, how is that? How has it changed from yeah, four no, years I ago? I agree. I mean, look, California is one of the um, most diverse states, one of the biggest states, most uh, delegate-rich states. So it does play a big role as a Californian, as a Latina. I'm so I'm glad that we are we moved it up. It's I mean, the diversity of our state, right, is something that we're very proud of. And as a Latina, I think Latinos are going to play a big role in determining who our next nominee is. And that's one of the strengths the vice president has. His long history of working with Californians on issues that Californians care about for the past 12 years, and not just since he announced he was running for president, but when Barack Obama chose him to be a, uh, his partner um, in the White House, and um, since he left office, he has been in California many times working with um, uh, leaders in California and issues that we care about, like Mayor Garcetti, as an example, working on the minimum wage with other leaders, and, and then the various issues that Calif as Californians, as progressives, as a diverse state that we care about. So to me, as a Latina, as an immigrant, it's very important that the state's going to play such a big role on March 3rd. Chris, you, you come from the state party. <laughs> you... you uh, what what is the what's the value in this? Is this is this really making a difference? Yeah, no, I, I, we're going I, I, to make a difference. Yeah, I'd say absolutely. Um, you know, moving up the march. You know, Mike's been in town in the state visiting ten cities in the last two weeks. I mean, all these candidates are starting to come out now as they're starting to you know um, get away from Iowa and, and New Hampshire, and I, I just think that shows our importance um, in terms of um, you know the issues. Obviously, as, as you know, the other panelists have said, you know. California leads the nation on so many different issues, and I think it's so important that Californians make a difference. In the past, we've been kind of a protest vote, and now, <laughs> and, and you know, it, really, because when you're in yeah. June, it's kind of all said and done. Yeah, no, then, it's right? over. And so, yeah. so we're reaching out to voters, and they're realizing, hey, we have a chance to pick our nominee. When we're getting our endorsements from our endorsers, um, they're like, hey, you're coming to ask for our endorsement of your campaign. That's usually something that hasn't been done because we've had a June primary. It didn't really matter. You've been around a while. Yeah. Is it, do you get the sense that more campaigns have been here longer this year with actual real people in the state and not just parachuting in at the last minute and dropping a bunch of TV ads? With all due respect. No, yeah, but I mean, you know, well, you know, you know, obviously, our campaign started started in right, December, right? right? But 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 the other but, campaigns, but, you landed. Yeah, on but the there. other campaign, you know, yeah. in terms of our, you know. Going, putting on my party hat. You know, Put on your party of, hat. Yeah. In terms of our state conventions, we've had candidates come out to both the state conventions uh, last year, right? So, so that in that sense didn't usually happen in the past. But I think you know, um, for for us, you know, we've been on the ground. You know, although we had a late start to this campaign, yeah. we're skipping the first four four states, right? And we're focused on this state, California. We're focused on the the other Super Tuesday states. We're focused on the battleground states that matter most. In November, and our focus has always been on defeating Donald Trump in in November, and so that's part of this plan. Mm -hmm. Nicole, you want to add something? Yeah, um, we're really excited to move up. Um, I think 
Uh, there's a lot of just genuine enthusiasm for Elizabeth in the state. We're a progressive state. We elect progressive candidates. Um, Joe Garofoli recently wrote a story about what an Elizabeth Warren presidency would mean for California, and it's Good pretty plug. clear. I, thank you. I didn't even ask. <laughs> thank you. San, San yeah. uh, But it, honestly, it's pretty clear from that piece that you know a lot of what Elizabeth's plans are are what our policymakers here in California are already doing, from lowering the cost of prescription drugs to making higher education more affordable to aggressively combating climate change. Um, and I, so I think that you see that resonate um, in our state, you know, and that's why we have endorsements from some of the most prominent progressive uh, legislators in the state, including the chairs of the LGBT, API, and Latino caucus. Let's get a, like an, a raw number on the number of visits that the candidates have made. And according, I want to, we'll get, I'll give them another plug to the Sacramento Bee. They're doing a great job, Brian Anderson's here, of, uh, of charting candidate visits and fundraising visits. This is according to, to the B. Bernie's made the most, most visits here, 33 campaign stops. He's held two fundraisers. Bloomberg, 16 visits, one fundraiser. Biden, 14 visits, 29 fundraisers. Buttigieg, 24 visits, 46 fundraisers. Warren, 13 visits, zero fundraisers. Now, most of these have all been in L.A. and the Bay Area, correct, Brian? And uh, why... Why hasn't there been more retail done here? This is the biggest state. We have the most delegates. We have the most, we have powerful media markets. Why not do more, and particularly in the Central Valley? Who wants to start? Je who wants to take the, why haven't you done more question? <laughs> Jessica, go away. Look, um, my background is uh, campaign management and like the candidate's time, right, is the most valuable asset on a campaign. And sometimes you have to make tough decisions in terms of where you spend the time. That doesn't mean that the other parts of the state are not important. Um, yeah. Central Valley is very diverse. It's one of the most important parts of the state yeah. and in the empire and so on and so on. But um, at the end of the day, again, the campaigns have to make tough decisions in terms of where the candidate's time is spent and the resources. And again, just emphasizing that it's not to say that the Central Valley and other parts of the state are not important. We're uh, proud to have, as, as an example, Senator Melissa Hurtado, who has endorsed. And so we do have a presence the state. Um, we just have, you know, the, again, the candidate's time is just very valuable, and so, um, so, it, so we haven't been able to get to that part of the state. But, um, but we do. We're not taking any anything for granted, and, and making sure that we have a good structure across across the state. And can we expect the vice president to make a few more visits here before primary day? Is, it, is he? How many more visits is he going to come? Um, I mean, it's a campaign, right? So every day things change yes. every day. So I, I can't provide an exact number. But, but again, we're not taking anything for granted. We're not taking the state for granted. It, and so we definitely want to uh, make sure that we continue to have a good presence in the state. Nicole, Elizabeth Warren burned the building down when she, when she spoke in Oakland uh, earlier this year, but we haven't seen much of her. She came down to San Jose a while back. Um, why would we see more Warren here? She, seemed, she seems like she has a, a, a solid, she's tied in the Bay Area. Uh, why would we see more of uh, Senator Warren? Yeah, she's also done town halls in San Diego and then was uh, most recently uh, in San Jose for SCIU's um, Walk-A-Day, um, where she was uh, with some of their child care providers. Um, so um, we really make the most of her time when she's here. So, you know, in addition to the town halls, we make sure that, you know, the last time she was, or a few times ago she was here, um, you know, she meets with different immigrant rights groups um, to hear their concerns. She hosted a roundtable of AAPI leaders from across the state um, to hear what issues are most important to them. So we'll continue to do um, those kinds of events going forward. Let's talk about uh, NPP voters. If I could actually, oh, just, oh, please, I well, actually speak to well, that. I didn't think it took, uh, related to us because we have been in the state. And, you know, California has been treated as one of the first five, and the campaign has prioritized it. 
Um, and the senator, as you mentioned, has been here the most than any other candidate. And we've been in places where folks haven't been since uh, the 60s. We were in the city of Coachella for an office opening with the senator, and a candidate for president had not been there since JFK. We were in Fresno. We were the first campaign to have a, a rally in Fresno and a massive rally there. We were in San Isidro uh, on the border, which we were told that nobody had been there since Trump um, to actually lift up his border policy. And so we have been up, we were in paradise after the fire where our senator was able to uh, witness the destruction of the fires and the impact that climate change has in California. So Senator Sanders has been in the state. We've prioritized it as a state. We don't look at it as a donor just to, just to take money, but we look at it as a place where we need to talk to voters. We need to talk about the policy platform and we need to talk about the solutions we need at this current moment and how we're gonna beat Trump. And so we prioritized it as a state as such. Yeah, and, and, ahead, let me, and let me just add too, for, for our campaign, you know, our first office opening was in Riverside. So that shows our importance of the Inland Empire. And just last week, obviously, uh, Mayor Bloomberg came to Sacramento, but we did an event in Fresno. We've opened up offices in Bakersfield, Modesto, and Fresno. So I think, you know, in terms of going to the places that maybe other candidates traditionally don't go because of fundraising, we've done that. Obviously, right. we've had a shorter runway than other folks, but we've made the most of that runway. Let's talk about NPP voters. Uh, a lot of people in the room. I'm, a, I'm an NPP voter. All the reporters here are NPP voters. Uh, so don't be accused of being part of the liberal media cabal. Um, what are you doing to make sure that they know that they have to get a Democratic ballot this year? You know, for, for many of the political nerds in the room, we're like, hey, don't they just ask for a ballot. But it's a, it's a big step. The great Paul Mitchell of political data uh, told ABC that a majority, 81% of unaffiliated voters said that they want to vote in the Democratic uh, primary, but his research projects that only 15% of those voters will make the effort. Those are crazy numbers. Um, what are you guys doing to reach these folks? Nicole, what are you, what are you doing to, to, to get these people to to get pick up a Democratic ballot and mm -hmm. vote for Senator Warren? Uh, we've seen a lot of support for Senator Warren among this group. Um, and so just like any with any group of voters, uh, we want to make sure that they have the information they need in order to cast that ballot for Elizabeth, whether that be this month or on March 3rd. Um, but California has actually made a lot of changes to the way that we vote here, um, from automatic vote by mail in certain counties um, and these voting centers um, to same-day voter registration. And so a lot of our efforts are making sure that our organizers and our volunteers are equipped with all of that information to give to voters when, when they're on the doors and on the phones having conversations about Elizabeth. Chris, go ahead. What, what do you, what do yeah, you guys do? well, for MPP, you know, obviously there's obstacles for MPPs voting, and especially in VCA counties, you know, when you're voting by mail, right? And so we, we've done the same thing. We've armed our, our field staff with, with flyers and everything else, but we're also doing digital ads, trying to convert those people to make sure that they understand what they specifically need to do. And we've seen a lot of movement um, polling-wise for MPPs voting for our, our candidate as well as, as well as them. So... We're really seeing that, you know, that do you guys, Do you guys think Mitchell's stats are on? Like 15% would, would do that? I mean, that seems like, it seems low. Not that, as Paul's in the room, I don't want <laughs> you know, he, he has more data than I do. But do you guys think that's a legit stat? I mean, I could, I'll speak to the first question and yeah, okay. to the second. Um, <laughs> you know, I, we, we had a press conference uh, last week, actually, about uh, trying to raise awareness around NPP voters, making sure that they know what they have to do to request a ballot. So we have been singularly focused on this. We're also, you know, our entire operation is integrated 
NPP outreach, so whether it be text, volunteer, uh, door knocks, or phone banks, we, every single volunteer that's doing work for the campaign is educated on NPP voters and making sure they're able to talk to them and convert them so that they can request their ballot. We see ourselves as doing the ma massive voter education uh, work in the state of California so that they're, have, they're enfranchised, they're able to vote. And we've also developed an app that actually allows our volunteers to identify you know, their friends and family and they can check their registration and then tell them, hey, you're an NPP voter, this is what you need to do. Uh, to vote. So we've uh, done a full court press here and we, you know, we're pushing. We think that uh, more can be done though. And I think, you know, uh, there was what, 20% of NPP voters voted in the last election cycle. So we're doing everything as a campaign to make sure that we educate folks, but we think more can be done. I know there's the urgent, uh, the bill that's moving that we think is great and we're supportive of to so make it as easy as possible. Uh, but we absolutely uh, think that this needs to be raised uh, so that folks can you know, find as easy as possible so NPPs can actually request their democratic ballot. That is my next question. Uh, Jess, the, there's, a, there's a bill going through the legislature now, SB 207, I believe, that would allow people to change their party registration up to two weeks before the primary. How does that, how does that affect the race? Jess? Sorry, how, does how, that, how does that affect the race? Being, if that were to be signed by the governor, uh, we, if you could change your registration up to two weeks before, does that, does that change the field at all or, or not? I think for us, I mean, I think it just based on what has been mentioned, just continued with our field operation, making sure that voters are informed about all the different changes that have taken place and as they might continue to take place. And so making sure that we're educating voters about um, just the different changes in terms of voting by mail, the different counties and, and LA County, just doing things differently, differently this time around. So I would say just continue to make sure the voters are educated about all the different changes. And if anything, that would just change in terms of the timeline, just making sure that we, as we ramp up, trying to incorporate that. But I would say the overall strategy would be to continue to engage voters and make sure that they know about all these different so rules. not much of a change, you're saying? No, no because no. the goal is just continue to educate voters, right? And so I would say not. Chris, do you see much of a change? That, that what, what potential change could this have, this bill have? I mean, it could have changes, but I mean, I think we all agree we want voters having an easier time to vote, yeah, right? right? I mean, that's, the, you know, we, if there are less barriers for people voting, that's, I think, for all of us, we could probably all agree on that on that point. But I think for us, um, you know, our job is to go out and make sure that we're informing people about our can our respective candidates. We're making sure that they know how to vote, right, and know who to vote, well, obviously who we think they should vote for. <laughs> and, you know, and making sure they have all the information um, they need to make informed choices on that. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. You know, you know, whether it's through text, whether it's through voter comp by phone, whether it's through walking door to door, I mean, we're doing all these different things to make sure that happens. Yeah. Um, Nicole, anything you want to add to that? You're, you're good? All right. Not particularly. All right. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would just add that, you know, the senator has always done really well with independents and PPs, you know. He did very well four years ago. Yeah. That's right. And so I do think for us, but I think the bigger question is, again, and I said this before, is this California needs to be the gold standard for voter enfranchisement. And to us, that's the bigger political question in that we need to do everything possible so every voter can engage agreeing with the other folks on the panel. And so that's, that's, a, that's for us critical a big, bigger political question, not just about our campaign, but uh, democratic process in California. A couple of weeks ago in the Chronicle, we wrote that the, uh, and this is your quote, Raf, uh, that winning the Latino vote in California to the Sanders campaign is, quote, the cornerstone of our campaign. Um, we we're talking four years ago when Bernie was running here, it was an introduction to a lot of uh, right. Latino voters. Like, who is this? Who's this old white guy from Brooklyn? Um, so how has that changed and how has your strategy changed from four years ago? 
So to your point, I think that a lot of uh, Latinos were getting to know the senator. Um, and so that's obviously he's had more time to introduce himself. But I, I also think that, you know, there has been a, a profound alignment in values, right? So there's countless examples or stories that you can hear on the doors of, of, of young Latinos, especially, of having the senator, um, you know, be a fighter and a champion for working people and specifically Latinos. I can tell you my own personal story growing up in East Los Angeles and when we were getting a hit by the wave of criminalization um, and that was, you know, impacting brown and black communities. He was out there on the floor of Congress actually challenge, you know, fighting back against that legislation, championing and actually naming racism in this country. And so I think that resonance, that, that, that alignment is, is just allowed Folks, he was fighting for us before we even knew it, and now that he's been able to tell a story and introduce himself to Latinos, uh, there's a there's a clear alignment there for folks, and especially you know he fights for everyday working people and Latinos in this state are working class, right? And so I do think that you know we are definitely as a group as Latinos um, uh, moving to the center because he's somebody who champions all of our fights. And talk a little bit about how the uh, how you try to be a, um, a culturally competent campaign, which is, which is the key. It's not, you know, uh, uh, rolling in with the mariachi bands and two weeks right, before, that's as, that's as right. some political consultants have often well, said well, to me. Well, we're, we're, we're opening offices in areas where Latinos are. Like, the city of Coachella, to me, is, is, is the most, you know, it's a perfect example. Nobody had been there since JFK, right? This is a heavily Latino neighborhood who has big environmental issues, has, you know, job issues. And, you know, we've prioritized to go talk to voters where they're at. That's the first piece. Second is we've hired folks from the community. So we have Latinos, we have working class folks, we have folks of color on the campaign from these areas who are actually organizing folks. And so, you know, you don't have, it's not just about a translation of a flyer. It's actually having folks from the community who are organizing and building the volunteer base. And I think that's been significant. And so when you have folks, you know, myself included, who are Latino, then we make sure that it's integrated in every aspect of the campaign. It's not an afterthought and it's not a translation at the end. It's actually built in from, from, from the beginning, from jump, and we're doing that with all the communities we've translated um, in AAPI, and we have one of the most translated materials there as well. I was just at a barbershop in South LA where we had Philip Agnew, who's a national surrogate, um, you know, speaking to uh, African-American voters in South LA. So we are building a culturally competent campaign that can actually talk to voters and meet them where they're at. Jesse, you've alluded to the Latino vote a couple of times. What are you doing specifically? What is the, the vice president doing to to uh, get the Latino vote here? He's already you know, popular with sort of at a, at a base level with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the vice president has a good standing with, uh, he, has, he counts with the support of a broad and diverse coalition of voters across the board, Latinos, African-American, AAPI. Um, in terms of our uh, Latino outreach, um, we have Cristobal Alex, who is one of our senior directors that's, uh, uh, just to your point about making sure that we have people that look like us that are in that, making those decisions, right, and making sure that uh, it's not just being, a script is just not being translated, but that we are um, making those decisions with the campaign team. So um, I'm Latina, I speak Spanish, I grew up in California, but I'm originally from El Salvador. My family immigrated here because of the Civil War. So bringing that perspective into the campaign, uh, we have our national co-chair is uh, uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti, right, Latino. So we definitely are making sure that we're building a diverse um, coalition in terms of our outreach, making sure that we're sensitive. Supervisor Hilda Solis was an early endorser of the vice president. And so making sure that from the beginning, the campaign was being mindful 
about the type of operation that we're building, not just in California, but across the board, and that we're being inclusive in every step of the way in terms of how we interact with Latinos, African Americans, APIs, and every constituency. Yeah. Chris, what, what's the uh, Mayor Bloomberg been up to? Yeah, so um, it's, you know, obviously we're all political people here. And so we know that, you know, he's been on TV with ads and been on Spanish, you know, TV, been on Spanish radio. But I think more to the point is um, we've brought on mayors like Mary Mary Salas. We brought on, you know, former Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. We have in the room Mayor Alex Rooker, first vice chair of the California Democratic Party. So we've, we've brought folks, you know, um, to talk to these issues. And then in terms of where we're at, we're in Bakersfield, we're in Fresno, we're in Modesto. We have folks on the ground that are Latino that are reaching out, but I think more to the point on that too is we have folks that are reaching out to the African-American community. We have folks that reach out to the Asian community. So it's, I don't think you have one, you know, you, you can focus on one, but you can't, you know, disregard the others, right? It, we have a whole comprehensive plan where we're reaching out to everybody with all of those resources. Cool. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it starts uh, with building a team that reflects California's diversity, um, which was something that we were, of course, intentional about from the beginning, you know, from the director level all the way to the organizers on the ground. Um, and similarly, they're, you know, from their communities, um, they are able to organize in the places where they're from, where they understand, you know, where these people are their neighbors, um, and in the languages that people want, prefer to engage with our campaign with. Um, and so, I think that's been really effective and we've been able to host some unique events, um, community forums. Um, we recently did one um, called Every Issue is a Latino Issue, um, where we really talk about the intersectionality of all of Senator Warren's plans, of which there are many. Um, and uh, <laughs> You don't say. <laughs> brought yeah, um, Latinx community leaders together for that discussion. Um, and I think um, that you know we've been really um, intentional about making people of color, um, and particularly um, Latinx um, voters and supporters um, part of this movement, and you see that pay off um, with things like Lorena Gonzalez, the chair of the California uh, Legislative Latino Caucus, who has endorsed us and who herself is an exceptional <laughs> surrogate to go into those communities. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You've all throughout your comments have uh, sort of subtly humble bragged your endorsements here. Um, We've heard all sorts of folks being, all sorts of people being name-checked here. What is the value of endorsements? Is it really, and you don't have to be dissing your own endorsers or someone else's, but really, who, who will make their decision based on an endorsement? I mean, I, I would say we, we, I didn't get to help brag about our endorsements, but we have a lot as well. Um, <laughs> now is but, your chance. Yeah, this is it. But, you know, and, and the thing that I am most proud of is we have, you know, city council, school board, mayors, all up and down the state, and it's deep. And I think those folks bring base with them. They bring people, that's who they act, folks actually know, right? So they know, they know the person who's run for school board. They know uh, the city councilman, so, or uh, city councilwoman. So that these folks have massive base, and, and, and when you add them all together, I think it does, it, it matters and it's important. Um, and I think for us also speaks to the depth of the outreach we have in the state, right? Because a lot of those folks are, you know, from our 
campaign, but it's also volunteers who are reaching out to these folks and saying, hey, we, we want you to take a stand, we want you to be with the Bernie Sanders campaign. So I think all of these things add them together, yeah, they, they do have an impact and they do have an influence. Jess, who's the most valuable, what, what is the value of, of uh, endorsements? Is there, is there a value to this? Absolutely, I mean, I think so. I mean, look, these are validators in their respective communities. They're, they're validators, they've worked, you know, whether it's an elected official or a uh, community leader or um, grassroots leader, right? Um, they're they're uh, they know their communities, they know their neighborhoods, they know their districts, and so having that um, added value to the campaign is, is is great. And all of our endorsers have been very engaged. Um, we had a an organizing meeting a couple of weeks ago with Assemblymember Al Mutatsuchi, and yesterday we had our uh, campaign kick our organizing kickoff um, East LA with Mayor Garcetti and Supervisor Hilda Solis and. Um, the vice president's uh, sister was in town as well, so she was there. But in terms of the local endorsements, uh, Garcetti and Solis were there. Yeah. Um, a lot of our endorsers have um, held events in their districts. Um, so I do think um, it also depends how you utilize your endorsers, right? Like having been a campaign manager in the past, like they do great, bring up great value. And again, we, a lot of our endorsers have been very involved uh, on the campaign. And also they know the issues too in their community. And so getting that perspective from them is very valuable. I'm going to do a hacky CNN show of hands question for this. How many people expect Gavin Newsom to endorse anyone? Anyone? Kamala Harris? Nobody. What's the most, <laughs> what's the most valuable endorser still out there? Who's the MVP of endorsements that has not laid, endorsed yet? Thank you very much. <laughs> that will get you nothing. Um, anybody? Anyone want to throw... You come on, you wusses! Come on, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to throw out the most valuable thing. Okay, um, let's talk about. Um, I'll throw oh, it Go ahead. Oh, way to go! I, I mean, I, I think California. It's, I'm not going to give you the answer you probably wanted. Um, California is a massive state, and yep. I just I don't think there's a single endorsement that is going to make or break the state. Yep. What I do think that matters is, do you have? a deep, deep bench of folks who are endorsing and that are signifiers in every part of the state. That I do think as uh, approach is actually very meaningful. Again, speaking to the Sanders campaign, we didn't just roll out um, elected officials. We have professors up and down the state who have endorsed that we rolled out. We have community leaders who are organizing every day, who are validators in our, who we rolled out. We have uh, veterans, we had farmers, we had teachers. So all of those together for us is really what is going to make, it's that grassroots and all together is the most single important endorsement uh, that we can get. It's these, these big groups of people. Okay. Uh, Jess, Joe Biden has been fading in the polls here in California. IGS, uh, Berkeley IGS poll had him at 22% last June. Now he's at 15. I gotta say, there was much to do about the vice president blowing off the three events here, the three, the the the, the um, uh, state party and national party events that were here. A lot of the other candidates were here. Does he regret doing that? There's a chance to you know meet grassroots folks and 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 do interviews. Um, does he regret not coming out for that? Look, when I, I wasn't on the, on the campaign for a couple of those, but one of the events um, earlier in the year last year was during the um, human rights campaign gala in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And LGBTQ issues are very important to the vice president, and as I, I know they are to Californians and to Democrats. So that's one of the events that he attended, and um, I, I would say that he feels very strongly about being supportive of LGBTQ issues. So that was one of the events he attended. Okay. Um, 
we all know this race is very tight here, and, and although Bernie is pulling ahead a little bit, but you know, we don't know. Who knows where the polls are at? Um, but the latest Berkeley IGS poll, what I just alluded to, among likely Democratic voters has Bernie Sanders is in lead with 26%, Elizabeth Warren at 20, Biden at 15, Buttigieg at 7, Mike Bloomberg at 6. Okay, I live in Oakland, and in the Bay Area, this poll says the race is a dead heat at 25% apiece for Sanders and Warren. When my socialist uh, Democratic neighbors asked me who they should vote for, Warren or Sanders, <laughs> Nicole, what should I tell my socialist friends uh, who they should vote for? I can tell you why I think Elizabeth is <laughs> yeah. the strongest candidate to take on Trump. Um, I mean, first it starts with I think she's the candidate who can unify the party. Uh, we see that in her ability to pick up endorsements from former rivals like Secretary Castro and um, you know supporters of some of the candidates who have dropped out. Um, but second, I think she's the person who can beat Trump. She's the only candidate represented on the stage uh, who has beat a Republican incumbent in the last 30 years. Um, and so I think that says something. Um, and then finally, I would just uh, talk about the policies. Um, there's certainly the plans, which we all know about, but she's also the one who has shown time and time again that she has the ability to get it done. So leading up to the financial crisis of 2008, she was sounding the alarms. Um, and before the crisis even hit, she came up with the idea for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And once the uh, crash happened, she took that idea to Washington. She fought to get it passed. And she built that agency from the ground up. And to this day, that agency has returned $12 billion to consumers who were cheated by big banks and corporations. And I think that's exactly the progressive track record of getting things done that we need in the White House. Raf, yeah. What, 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 why Sanders over Warren? So obviously, you know, the threat we have from the White House is significant, and you, he has an energized base. And so I think for us, this is the strongest point on our campaign. If you're going to take on Trump and the base that he has, you have to have the most energized base on our side that's going to move people into action. We have the most donors, we have the most volunteers, and we have the most energy. And that's what you're going to need to take you to the long haul to take on this campaign. And for us, it's critical. Not only that, when you have the biggest liar in recent political history, you need the person with the most trust factor, right? There's nobody who polls better on trust than Senator Sanders. I remember I worked for CWA. I was a national political director, and we had members who um, by no means were democratic socialists. And, you know, in the South, in the Midwest, and this was in 2016, they said, look, I don't mind not some things I might disagree on, but I believe him and I trust him. And so in this moment in history, that's what you need when we're facing the biggest liar and the biggest deceiver in history, is somebody who can carry that trust. And we not only can bring in a youth and energize, you saw the numbers on youth participation who are willing to volunteer and commit themselves to this candidacy. That's what we need to actually take on Trump. But in addition to that, you actually have those uh, Obama-Trump voters who are willing to flip with Senator Sanders. And so that's what we're looking at. And if folks want to beat Donald Trump, it's, the, it's Bernie Sanders. And the last thing I'll just say is when you look at the value set, it's not just about beating Trump. We need to give something to fight for. And when folks, when we're dealing with homelessness, when we're dealing with the crisis of health care and you have 500,000 folks going bankrupt, you have medical debt, you have uh, essentially climate change, and you look at California, right? 15 out of the last 20 fires that we've had the most devastating fires happened since 2000, right? I had ash coming down in my house in the center of Los Angeles this last fire season. 
So that crisis is here. We need somebody, we need an actual bold vision to respond to that crisis. And that's what working families are looking for. And that's what Senator Sanders is offering, the boldest vision and also the best infrastructure and campaign to win and beat Donald Trump. Uh, Chris, Mike Bloomberg, as, as we alluded to earlier, jumped in this race in November. And you know, even though he, we see him on our TV screen about three times an hour, uh, he, you know, he's, he hasn't been here that long. He, he told me that he jumped in the race because he thought Biden you know, was not a strong candidate and Warren and Sanders were too liberal. So if you're a moderate voter in California trying to decide between Biden and Bloomberg, what do you tell him? Well, I mean, I would say this to just any any better, whether you know you're trying to choose between Biden and Bloomberg, is that you know the mayor is a three-term mayor, the most one of the most progressive cities in the United States. He has a proven track record of getting things done. He's been out in these battleground states that we've been talking about. I mean, we've been focused on Iowa and New Hampshire, right? Rightfully so, the last couple of weeks. But he's been campaigning out in Florida, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, and. He is the only candidate, when we look at polling, that I think has the best chance to beat Donald Trump in November. And if that's what we're trying to do, and he's you know, bringing a coalition of people across the spectrum into this, <laughs> if that's our goal, you know, that's then Mike Bloomberg's your candidate. And so I would say that I, I really feel that he has the best, and I would say this too, that he has also committed a billion dollars of his own personal money to help if he's not, if he's not the nominee. And I don't, I th think he will be, but if he's not, yeah. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. But if he's not, he's gone, you know, his goal is to beat Donald Trump in November. And so he's, he's made that commitment to do that. Jess, what about if, if moderates wrestling between Biden and, and the mayor? What do you tell him? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the, the vice president, uh, we, we believe that uh, the nominee should be able to count uh, with a broad and diverse coalition across the board, and that's the vice president. Um, he has the experience from uh, senator and from being um, in, the, in the White House. So having the ability to build on from the Obama coalition that was built that was so successful, all of the, the, the polling shows that uh, the vice president uh, beats Donald Trump by the widest margin from the current field. And so he's able to build those coalitions and is able to be competitive in those battleground states. And also um, the top of the ticket, right, is going to be very important in order to keep the House if the Senate's at play at all. And the vice president has that strength. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the frontline um, congressional uh, candidates or uh, elect, uh, congressional uh, running for re-election have endorsed the vice president for that reason, because they know that if he's on top of the ticket, we have a better chance at keeping the House and possibly expanding from it, and maybe there's a shot at the Senate. But if we're running on a more liberal um, uh, ticket, then some of those House seats might be in jeopardy. So um, I think that's one of the things, and again, building that strong coalition and broad coalition is going to be key um, in terms of bringing those moderates and those independents um, in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania. Okay, let's, uh, let's set some expectations for election night. Well, one expectation will be the votes won't be counted. We all know that. We live in California. But what should we, what is a successful night for you? Uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be the popular vote. There's going to be delegates. You can get, you have to get 15% of the vote in a congressional district to get some delegates. You have to get a certain threshold to get some statewide to get some delegates. It's a complicated picture. Tell us what a successful night looks like for the Warren campaign, Nicole. I mean, our job is just to organize everywhere to get as many volunteers as possible out on the doors, on the phones, talking to as many voters as possible. Um, and from there, we will be eager to see California count the ballots and for the results to come in. <laughs> but what does, it, what does it look like? What is a good night for you? I mean, do, do you want to get X number of delegates? Mm -hmm. Do you want to win the, 
like a top three finish. What does it what does it mean? Well, certainly winning California means uh, getting the most delegates by definition. Yeah. Um, but I'll you know let the votes come in and speak for that. Okay, Chris, what's what's a successful night for America? Uh, this is this will be his first test uh, at Super Tuesday. Right. Right, I, and I think for us, you know, and you kind of mentioned polling a little earlier that showed us go from two to six percent, mm -hmm. and I think um, I'm hopeful that there'll be more public polls released that will show that, you know, rate growing and that momentum building for us. And so I think by the time we get to election night, you know, we're obviously hoping that all the Super Tuesday states kind of propel us into the next round of states um, to put an American goal on it. Of course, 15 percent statewide and 15 percent in congressional district is what we're trying to get to. So we have delegates going forward into the next contest. Mm -hmm. Jess? Um, I would say a successful night would be continuing to build on that coalition that the vice president counts on across the board and um, has shown time and time again as one of his strengths. So showing that out of Super Tuesday that we're able to count on that uh, support based on the votes coming out and, of course, uh, getting a good chunk of those delegates. <laughs> yeah, but electability is, is uh, the vice president's all about electability. If he can't do top three in California, isn't that like, okay, it's over. Well, I think he will. You think he will? Okay. Raf? Uh, I think for us, we would like to be top finish in the state. And again, in every, uh, we're, look, we're, we're building to, as I mentioned, not just in Los Angeles, not just in the Bay, but in every congressional district where our plan and strategy is to leave no delegate on the table and so that we come out on top finish there. I think that night we're going to see a huge uptick in uh, youth uh, voting for us, Latinos and working class people of color voting for us. And so for us, that's what that looks is that that coalition is clearly cemented and that folks know that the Bernie Sanders campaign is building the operation that's needed to take on Trump. One more before we go to audience questions. Dan will be around to, uh, with the microphone. Um, everybody here will be watching the New Hampshire primary tomorrow night. As a Californian, what should we be looking for and what could happen there that could change the race? What, what, Put on your pundit hat here. We're, you know, we need something to do while we're drinking beer and, you know, watching the results. Well, I'll, I'll be working, but I won't be drinking beer. Until later. I, I mean, I just say we feel good and confident about New Hampshire. I think it's going to continue to demonstrate the strength of our campaign. And, you know, uh, again, we have a massive field operation in New Hampshire. Uh, we've obviously been leading in the polls, and we feel good about uh, what the outcome will be. Okay. Uh, I mean, we feel good going into New Hampshire. Also, uh, you know, we are competing against two senators from neighboring states, so, uh, but we feel good about going into New Hampshire. Okay. I was just going to say, we're not in New Hampshire, but I, <laughs> but, but I do feel it, it's, it's going to show that there is not a clear-cut candidate coming out of these Iowa and New Hampshire. And I think that's where Michael Bloomberg is going to fill in that, that void in terms of he's been in a lot of these other states that matter in November, not that, you know matter now. And so, you know, for us, you know, that's where our momentum's going. And that's, I think it's going to show that he is going to be the person that best takes on Trump in November. So the, a great night for Bloomberg would be someone other than Buttigieg or Sanders winning, because then it would make the, the, the picture even cloudier, right? It's more confusion. And then I, I think it's already confusing now. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if necessarily tomorrow will help or make that, you know, clarify that. But I think it's, it's confusing now. And I think that's why we're seeing a momentum on our campaign. And that's why I think polling, our internal polling shows it, that our campaign is gaining strength. And so, you know, like I said, I think, you know, we'll see that going forward. Okay. Yeah, I think what, much, what's a big what's a big night for what should we be looking for? 
Well, I mean, we're, you know, just like coming out of Iowa with a top three finish. I think we're in a strong position for New Hampshire and then the other early states, Super Tuesday and well beyond. But I think what's important to remember is that our campaign was built really for the long haul. We've got over a thousand staffers in 31 states. We plan to organize in all 56 states and territories before the convention in Milwaukee. Um, and so uh, we're going to just continue doing that. All right. Well, thank, you. thank you so much, uh, Nicole, Raphael, um, Chris. And, um, and Jessica, and thanks so much, Joe, for, for taking the time to do this. I'd like to open it up to questions. I'd also like to once again thank Dane Struthers and Steve Maviglio for co-sponsoring this. Hey, uh, Brian Anderson, Sacramento Bee. Two specific questions. Uh, going towards the strategy, can you tell me which region will be most successful for you? Bonus points if you could name a specific congressional district or whisper it in my ear at the end. And then I have a second one after. Look, we're competing at, uh, everywhere throughout the state, so I'm not... <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, look, all joking aside, look, the vice president genuinely can count on a diverse coalition across the state. And going back to the points that we made at the beginning of the, for of the uh, forum, um, California is one of the most diverse states. Um, and that coalition is going to be very obvious on, on March 3rd. And so we're not leaving any vote behind. And so for us, we're just really trying to be competitive across the board. So who, who among here has been down to like Tulare and tried to get votes there? Because the congressional district there matters too. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and that's the thing is, is you know, um, like I said, you know, um, Mike was in Fresno um, last last week, and so and I've been to the Fresno Bakersfield area three times over the last two weeks. So I think you know, in terms of you know, like Jessica said, we're we're leaving no stone unturned in terms of these congressional districts. We're reaching out to every place we can, and we're using our field staff um, as organizers to make sure they're out in those communities and, and engaging those voters. I mean, I'd say, look, the places that we're going to do really well are the places that historically haven't been the focus of presidential campaign, and you're going to have the central. Valley Central region of the state have a good turnout for us. You're going to have parts of San Diego. You're going to have the IE, um, where again we have office. We have currently the most offices than anybody else in the state. And where, if you look at where our offices, you think you'll get the answers that you're looking for. And so, you know, and that's what we, that's what we plan to do really, really well. And that's where for us. Hey, sorry, I'll let Brian do his part two in a moment. Um, so the governor whose endorsement none of you want or think you're going to get um, was, on the, was on The View today, and he talked about a, quote, deep anxiety that he heard in speaking to other governors that's not being publicly communicated about a Bernie Sanders ascendancy, Mayor Bloomberg um, moving up, which he thinks would bring about something that looks like a place of civil war for the Democratic Party at a time when people are desperate to unify is that a fear that any of you have, that as this campaign drags on longer, particularly with the sort of late emerging Bloomberg wildcard, you have a sort of fractious primary that makes it more difficult to unify? Nicole should answer no. that. Um, well, I've talked about how, you know, one of the reasons uh, that I think Elizabeth is the one to take on Trump is because she can unify the party um, in, in a really special way. Um, uh, <laughs> what was the what was your question? <laughs> is that a concern of ours um, that we hear? 
Gotcha. Um, well, like I said, also, uh, we have a campaign built for the long haul. Um, and so we are in these states that are beyond Super Tuesday uh, and, uh, you know, well into the primary calendar before convention. Um, I will also just reiterate that um, the part of the reason that we have built this campaign in that way is because Elizabeth has always been focused on building the party infrastructure from the ground up. And so that means making um, investments and strategic decisions um, in places that will help Democrats hold the House, take back the Senate, and then flip critical state legislature chambers. You know, I'd say that given what we're facing on the other side, I think there's a lot of clarity from across the board what we need to do past this uh, convention. And so I know we're, we're not concerned. I think this is, uh, you know, the democratic process that needs to take place. We obviously feel confident that our campaign is the one that's going to come out on top and that we're going to unify as a party to take on Trump. You cannot, this is an existential threat. You know, Trump is in many ways, whether you look at any issue, whether you look at, you know, the constitution, you look at the environment, you look at, uh, you know, anything we care about, he is an existential threat and there will be unity in the party to take him on. And so we're not concerned. Here's uh, another question. Uh, Chuck McFadden, Capital Weekly. Given Senator Sanders' young and enthusiastic backers, are any of you afraid that if the senator doesn't get the nomination, that his backers will go into a pout and sit on their hands when November rolls around? No, I, I, I refer back to my initial response. I think, you know, we, we are very clear as a country, uh, you know, what we need to do. That being said, that's why we're building the operation and the infrastructure to win. And I do think, what I will say is that people are looking for solutions to real serious problems. And, you know, the senator has put forward a platform that is bold and really speaks to the current crisis we're facing as a country. And so we are going to do everything possible that that become uh, policy in this country. And so we're building the operation to win. Um, but again, we're clear about that. And, you know, I think that's why also we're leading the pack, right? Because of our, because of his vision, because of his platform. But no, we're not, we're not concerned about that. Well, and, and let me just point out too that, I mean, with the Bloomberg campaign, I mean, we're building this for November, right? I mean, like I said, we're in those six battleground states already with staff. Right, we're taking on Trump already, and all of our, a lot of our ads that you see are taking on Trump for November. So, so we're not worried about it, but you know, but we are concerned about the other candidates' ability to win this election, and that's why we're in this. Uh, another from Brian Anderson. Uh, so we're here at the SAC Press Club, and media accessibility and press accessibility is obviously an important question. Uh, Sanders has yet to talk to us, with the exception of. Biden talking to us, he hasn't done an interview with the California news outlet. Bloomberg's not really doing long interviews. And Warren really hasn't been terribly accessible to California reporters. Can you just talk about your plans for making these candidates accessible to California news outlets and your overall media strategy in the state? Uh, before you answer that, one, I, I should have said this at the outset. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg's uh, uh, representative was going to be here, but then canceled. I mean, I think as we continue to ramp up, we, you know, we'll definitely find, try and find those opportunities. The vice president called into two radio stations in California just last week, um, and he's made himself, like, the, the last trip that he was um, here in California, he made himself available. So we'll continue to look for those opportunities. 
I would just say, you know, every trip he's been here, we've made sure to actually do uh, media interviews, and so we've prioritized it. I don't, we obviously are going to continue to expand that every time he comes, so absolutely. But I know for a fact that every single trip, that is part of our itinerary, and that's what we, we prioritize in making sure that we make them accessible, and obviously our campaign is as well in the state. My job is mainly focused on the organizing program, but now is a great time for me to tell you that Kevin Lau, who many of you know, who used to work for the speaker, is back in California as of last night, and he is our comms lead, so you should reach out to him. And I'll just say, Mayor Bloomberg, you know, on his many trips, there's always usually a press thing that he does, you know, afterwards with reporters, so he's made himself pretty available in terms of, you know, access and, and for reporters to, to ask some tough questions, so. Uh, not seeing any others, I'm gonna um, use my prerogative. One of the representatives of the Lincoln Project is in the audience today. What do you think the impact of that particular entity could be in the 2020 election? I think a pundit is gonna have to explain to me what that is. <laughs> Uh, this is this is the Republican operation, uh, Republican oh. consultants who oh. are trying to okay. go after Trump, right? Well, I guess a pundit will have to answer that since it's uh, news to me. <laughs> okay, well, interesting. Mike, you've got your work cut out. John Howard. Question for Chris. The um, California track record in statewide elections has been to dismiss millionaires. Right. Uh, Al Checky, Meg Whitman, Norton Simon. So why would Mike Bloomberg, from 3,000 miles away, who hasn't been in elective office for a while, what makes him different? Uh, great, great question. So you know, any of those, any of those folks were you know multimillionaires that basically just did ads, and that's pretty much all their campaign was, right? And so I think the difference for Mike Bloomberg was he was a three-term mayor of one of the most progressive cities in, in the United States. Uh, as a mayor, and as anybody knows here that's worked with mayors, I mean, they are boots on the ground dealing with problems of everyday people. And so he did that for 12 years. Um, and post that, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's fought climate change. He's done stuff on gun violence prevention. So, so to say, you know, he, he's not like those other folks who are just business leaders that just kind of came in and just did just ran ads on TV. And we also have all these boots on the ground, field organizers that are out in their communities. And that's why we have, a, you know, to Joe's point, we have a ton of mayors supporting us. We have a lot of, a lot of folks that have seen changes that he's made from his philanthropy, right, through, um, through data-driven uh, decision-making models in their communities. And if those have affected their communities. And so I think that's why they're coming on board, because they've seen them do stuff, even post being mayor of New York help people on the ground and help folks in their communities. Thank you, Jim Hawley. Um, I had a question on, oh, I'll preface it by saying that the Republicans have, are gonna raise a lot of money and they have, one of the, the re Republican presidents have typically raised a lot of money for their party. I'm wondering if you can tell me how much money in your, for those of you in the Senate, how much you've raised for the DSCC and the DNC in your careers in the Senate. I mean, I, could, I don't have an exact number for you, but what I can tell you is the senator has prioritized 
uh, down ballot races. He did a slew of endorsements, for example, for congressional races recently, including uh, here in California. And so he is definitely, and he has fundraised for uh, candidates since 2016 and before. And so he's prioritized, really, this isn't just about him. You know, the not me, us is not just a slogan, it's an ethos. And we know that if we're going to change the status quo, if we're going to change the influence of, you know, a small group of people in our political system, we need to have a, it's not just about him. And so we, he's prioritized as a candidate, making sure we're doing all the work we can for all these other races that are taking place, and he will continue to do so. Um, I can send you some fundraising numbers after that exactly, but I don't have that on top of my head. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. I also wouldn't be able to provide uh, specific numbers. We can follow up after. But um, I would say also the vice president has been, um, you know, in the 2018 cycle and, and even last year just being supportive of candidates running across the board. Um, but going a little bit off topic to your point about Republicans uh, spending a lot of money um, or, you know, we, we think they're going to be spending a lot of money. I think that there's a reason why Donald Trump is so obsessed with the vice president. He doesn't want him to be nominee for a reason. And so we, I think, need to be ready for those attacks. And, and that's why he's a target, because he knows that going up against him in November, um, he has the best chance in, based on all the, the polling. Well, and I can give a specific number. Over $110 million, uh, Mayor Bloomberg spent in 2018 flipping 21 to 24 congressional races, including those in California. So um, that's a pretty specific number, and it's a big number, and it's something you'll keep on doing. So I can also follow up with exact numbers. I know that in 2018, Senator Warren uh, gave uh, over $11 million to down-ballot Democrats um, as part of uh, her efforts to continue to invest in the party infrastructure. So it is... Um, 12.59, so Sigrid's got a very quick question. <laughs> Sigrid Both I'm Capital Weekly, and I teach at Sacramento State. Um, we haven't talked much about the issues in California. The number one issue, according to a recent poll, Public Policy Institute poll, is homelessness and mental health, and the governor's also made it a priority in his budget. What specifically would you propose or do your candidates propose to deal with those issues in California? Not a short question. Sure. So I think this is something that, again, the senator leads on. He's prioritized his, his policy and platform. He has $2 trillion to go to the National Housing Trust into funding, $270 billion, which would come to California alone. we got 7.4 million folks in the country who can't have... Uh, don't have, uh, there's not enough housing units. You also, in California, for a two-bedroom, you need to make about $35 an hour, which most folks aren't making. Um, and so uh, this, the center has prioritized that, making sure we're building new housing units, making sure that there's so, funding. Going so let's, we really do All try right. to so end at 1 o'clock. I think we have the both decision and rent control as well, and making sure there's a 3% rent control. Uh, proposal of, or 1.5 uh, adjusted for inflation, uh, increase in inflation. So Thanks. quickly. Thanks. Um, we're actually going to be releasing our housing plan soon, so I'll keep it short Great. and we'll share it with everyone. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just say, uh, yeah, Mayor Bloomberg tackled this issue as mayor of New York and he had a pretty successful record. And we also released our housing plan, I believe, back in March, which is on the website. <laughs> so a year ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. March. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, okay. wow. Very yeah. good. <laughs> Joe, Raphael, Nicole. Chris and Jessica, thank you so much for coming. Thank you all. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank the Sacramento Press Club for inviting me to host this uh, gathering today and for uh, letting us share it with you, our esteemed listeners. I'd like to thank Erica Carlos for producing this episode. 
Hey, and don't forget to take the podcast survey. Remember, you, you'll be entered to win a $100 gift card. Just go to sfchronicle.com slash podcast survey. And remember, no matter if your campaign has 300 staffers on the ground in California or just a couple of guys working out of the backseat of their car, it's all political. It's All Political is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive editor is Audrey Cooper. Our theme music, our wonderful theme music that I love, it gets me jazzed up, is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Croson. Support It's All Political and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership. It's very easy. You just go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. <laughs>